Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Okay. My name's Todd, coming to you from Austin, Texas. Nice to see you all. Why don't we just go around the virtual room and please say your name and where you're coming from. Todd, it's different on different computers, so. Okay. So you might want to say, ask, say people's names and. I can't read them from here. <laughs> we can. We can just say hello. Hi, it's Monica in Austin. Rosemary in uh, Fort Lee, New Jersey. Ellen in Austin. Ari in Austin. Joan in Austin. Becky in Vancouver, BC. Darcy, you're muted. Anne in Austin. I'm I'm from Elgin, Texas. Claudine in Switzerland. Kim in Austin. Maria from Cumbria, the UK. Olivia from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Unmute yourselves. I'm Colin. I'm in Austin. I'm Nancy. I'm in Dallas. Hello, I'm Paul. I'm from Austin. I'm in Austin. Lisa in Austin. Nelda in Austin. Joel in Austin. We're just doing quick introductions of names and where you are to get started, if anyone hasn't yet. Uh, Eric, I'm from Austin. <clears throat> All right, thank you, everyone. Lovely to have you with us this morning. For today's Dharma talk, I'm going to pick back up with um, faith in mind or trust in mind or the Shin Shin Ming, which is uh, one of the most revered chants in Zen Buddhism, um, written by Seng Kang, who died in 606. Uh, last time we uh, used a, a more uh, academic discussion about the concepts of the Shin Shin Ming when I was here a few weeks ago. Uh, today I'm going to take a slightly different tack and um, bring to you uh, some transcribed talks from Sheng Yin. And this comes from the book Faith in Mind, A Guide to Chan Practice. I'll give you a view of it right there. And uh, 
if you don't mind uh, muting yourselves, and we might mute everyone until we get to the Q&A section, Nancy. Uh, Todd, you're muted now. There we go. <laughs> Uh, so Sheng Yen is a really renowned uh, Chan teacher who um, began study when he was 13 years old, spent many, many years in monasteries and has a, a couple, divides his time between uh, New York and uh, back in Asia. <clears throat> so let's see here. I'll start by... quickly reading his translation of the Shinshin Ming. Um, hold on a sec, I lost my screen. Um, there we are. So I'm going to read his translation of the Shinshin Ming to begin. And what I'd like to, after we, I'll say that for a second. Let me just read this first. Faith in mind. The supreme way is not difficult if only you do not pick and choose, neither love nor hate, and you will be clearly, and you will clearly understand. Be off by a hair and you are as far apart as heaven from earth. If you want it to appear, be neither for nor against. For and against opposing each other, this is the mind's disease. Without recognizing the mysterious principle, it is useless to practice quietude. The way is perfect like great space, without lack, without excess. Because of grasping and rejecting, you cannot attain it. Do not pursue conditioned existence. Do not abide in acceptance of emptiness. In oneness and equality, confusion vanishes of itself. Stop activity and return to stillness. And that stillness will be even more active. Only stagnating in duality. How can you recognize oneness? If you fail to penetrate oneness, both places lose their function. Banish existence and you fall into existence. Follow emptiness and you turn your back on it. Excessive talking and thinking turn you from harmony with the way. Cut off talking and thinking and there is nowhere you cannot penetrate. Return to the root and attain the principle. Pursue illumination and you lose it. One moment of reversing the light is greater than the previous emptiness. The previous emptiness is transformed. It was all a product of deluded views. No need to seek the real. Just extinguish your views. Do not abide in dualistic views. Take care not to seek after them. As soon as there is right and wrong, the mind is scattered and lost. Two comes from one yet do not even keep the one. When one mind does not arise, 
Myriad dharmas are without defect. Without defect, without dharmas, no arising, no mind. The subject is extinguished with the object. The object sinks away with the subject. Object is object because of the subject. Subject is subject because of the object. Know that the two are originally one emptiness. In one emptiness, the two are the same, containing all phenomenon. Not seeing fine or coarse, how can there be any bias? The great way is broad, neither easy nor difficult. With narrow views and doubts, haste will slow you down. Attach to it and you lose the measure. The mind will enter a deviant path. Let it go and be spontaneous. Experience no going or staying. Accord with your nature. Unite with the way. Wander at ease without vexation. Bound by thoughts, you depart from the real, and sinking into a stupor is as bad. It is not good to weary the spirit. Why alternate between aversion and affection? If you wish to enter the one vehicle, do not be repelled by the sense realm. With no aversion to the sense realm, you become one with true enlightenment. The wise have no motives. Fools put themselves in bondage. One dharma is not different from another. The deluded mind clings to whatever it desires. Using mind to cultivate mind. Is this not a great mistake? The erring mind begets tranquility and confusion. In enlightenment, there are no likes or dislikes. The duality of all things issues from false discriminations. A dream, an illusion, a flower in the sky. How could they be worth grasping? Gain and loss, right and wrong, discard them all at once. In the eyes, do not close and sleep. All dreams will cease of themselves. If the mind does not discriminate, all dharmas are of one suchness. The essence of one suchness is profound. Unmoving, conditioned things are forgotten. Contemplate all dharmas as equal, and you return to things as they are. When the subject disappears, there can be no measuring or comparing. Stop activity, and there is no activity. When activity stops, there is no rest. Since two cannot be established, how can there be one? In the very ultimate, rules and standards do not exist. Develop a mind of equanimity and all deeds are put to rest. Anxious doubts are completely cleared. Right faith is made upright. Nothing lingers behind. Nothing can be remembered. Bright and empty, functioning naturally, the mind does not exert itself. It is not a place of thinking, difficult for reason and emotion to fathom. In the Dharma realm of true suchness, there is no other, no self. To accord with it is vitally important. Only refer to not to. In not to, all things are in unity. Nothing is not included. The wise throughout the 10 directions all enter this principle. 
This principle is neither hurried nor slow. One thought for 10,000 years. Abiding nowhere yet everywhere. The 10 directions are right behind you. The smallest is the same as the large in the realm where delusion is cut off. The largest is the same as the smallest. No boundaries are visible. Existence is precisely emptiness. Emptiness is precisely existence. If it is not like this, then you must not preserve it. One is everything. Everything is one. If you can be like this, why worry about not finishing? Faith and mind are not two. Non-duality is faith and mind. The path of words is cut off. There is no past, no future, no present. I'd like to say that these collections of talks were given in a session or a meditation intensive, an intensive retreat. Um, we don't use the term retreat around here when we talk about our intensives. Um, Joko used to say not to call them retreats because it was the opposite of a retreat. It's what you do to stop retreating from everything. <clears throat> So these were talks not given as um, academic discussions, not given to study the concepts, but these were talks given during the middle of an intensive to instruct students and to encourage their practice. So I just want to preface that. And also to say that we have an intensive coming up here at the end of January. These intensives are a gift of space and time we give ourselves to deepen our practice. So I encourage you um, to consider signing up and contributing your shared practice to the group. So we're going to talk about in this one little talk only about the first six lines, which I'll read for you again. This talk is called Embarking on Practice, on the Practice. The Supreme Way is not difficult if only you do not pick and choose, neither love nor hate, and you will clearly understand. Be off by a hair, and you are as far apart as heaven from earth. And here's Shen Yin's talk. The sole purpose of a Chan retreat is to practice. You should keep your attention entirely on practice without trying to attain any results. Since many of you have traveled far or have worked hard to set aside this time, you have a great deal invested in this retreat. It is natural that you want to gain something. But once you enter the retreat, you must put aside any specific hopes. Practicing with a goal in mind is like trying to catch a feather with a fan. Isn't that a great description? Practicing with a goal in mind is like trying to catch a feather 
with a fan. The more you go after it, the more it eludes you. But if you sneak up on it slowly, you can grab it. The aim of practice is to train your patience and forbearance, to train your mind to become calm and stable. Any attachment or sinking, seeking will prevent you. <clears throat> Sorry, try again. Any attachment or seeking will prevent your mind from settling down. The Supreme Way in the first line of the poem refers to the stage of Buddhahood. The wisdom of the Buddha is not difficult to perceive. It can be attained in the instant between two thoughts. The reason for this is that it has never been separate from us. It is always present. In fact, we all desire to realize the Supreme Way. If so, why are we unable to attain it? The second line explains what prevents us. It is because we are always trying to escape our vexations. Precisely because we want to acquire the Buddha's insight and merits, we are unable to perceive Buddha nature. Another reason why we cannot see our Buddha nature is that we are burdened with ideas. We make distinctions between samsara and nirvana, sentient beings and Buddha, vexations and enlightenment. These ideas obstruct our perception of Buddha nature. To paraphrase lines three and four, as soon as you discard your likes and dislikes, the way will immediately appear before you. Here, Sangan has something in common with Tao Xin, the fourth patriarch, and Hui Ning, the sixth patriarch. The latter two frequently said that when you stop discriminating between good and evil, you will immediately perceive your original face. In other words, you will understand the Supreme Way. When you first set out to practice, you will definitely have a goal in mind. You may be frustrated with your present condition and aim to either change yourself or to improve your circumstances. Certainly there is something you hope to achieve by practicing. You cannot just practice aimlessly. That's worth repeating. You cannot just practice aimlessly. So to practice itself implies some intention or desire. To fulfill your original intentions, you must constantly keep your mind on the method of practice. But as you focus on the method, you should not be thinking of what you want to accomplish, what level you want to reach, or what problems you want to get rid of. Instead, your mind should be exclusively applied to the method itself, free from all motives. There's a saying that's useful for practitioners. Quote, put down the myriad thoughts, take up the practice, end quote. 
I'll say that again. Put down the myriad thoughts, take up the practice. The myriad thoughts are scattered, random, extraneous concerns. The practice is your method of cultivation. When your mind wanders to extraneous concerns, put them down as soon as they appear. But should you treat the method in the same way as a wandering thought, putting it down as soon as it appears? No. From moment to moment, put down extraneous thoughts and return your mind to the method of practice. So that's Sheng Yen's instructions to beginning students and old students embarking on the practice of a week-long session or meditation intensive. Nancy, could you unmute everyone and we'll open it up to any questions or reflections or anything that stirs up. I think once Nancy unmutes, allows you to unmute, you'll have to unmute yourself as well if you want to speak. Yeah, everyone can unmute themselves right now. Monica's shaking her head no. Are you and so is Ellen. So they're they're saying they're unable to unmute, I guess. You want to try again? Oh, there we go. Looks good. So if there have any questions or reflections, anything that stirs up in you, feel free. I'm confused on something. Go ahead. <clears throat> you, if I get this right, at near the end, you were talking about um, don't practice aimlessly. And then I'm, I'm balancing that with do not practice with a goal. Can you sort of expound on goals and aims then, because that seems contradictory to me. Um, He's talking about the uh, kind of life koan that we're all stuck in, right? Maybe not stuck in, but find ourselves in, which is that you have to do something. Right? It's not possible to actually not do anything, right? right? But yet we know that um, practicing with uh, an instrumental mentality that practices an instrument for your gain, right? With a gaining idea, um, your teachers will advise you that that goes the wrong direction. We are advised to practice with no gaining idea, but yet to have an aim in our practice. And that aim should be very specific. It should be um, worked out with you and your teacher to, to Brian, try and bring, around, uh, bring about your liberation, your awakening. 
right? Sometimes those start as following the breath or counting the breath and then move from there. Okay. But to have an aim for practice is very important. Thank you. Uh, is that Becky? It's hard to see. Go ahead and unmute yourself. You can speak. She can't mute. I can try and help. Hmm. Try now, Becky. Oh, the wrong moment. There. <laughs> Thank you. When when you were talking about that in terms of of um, you know having a goal or whatever, one of the things that I heard was that when we practice, we have a motivation, something that that speaks to bring us to it, which is different than having a goal in terms of the experience of it. So I, I usually try to notice what my motivation is each time or in in the larger, you know, larger piece uh, while being open to any kind, the kinds of things I will encounter. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're describing the self-awareness uh, practice of investigating your motivations. I think this is a very good practice. Um, Todd, um, setting aside likes and dislikes, could could you talk a little bit more about that? Um, you know, that, that seems to be, and maybe this is the whole point, very connected to one's, uh, I guess, beliefs, et cetera. Um, yeah. What does that mean? What is what does it mean to set down your likes and dislikes? Yeah. Uh, it means that when you're here and you're able and you're noticing, not to energize them. Right? When you notice the attachment towards, oh, I want the bird to keep singing in the window, right? or the aversion to, I wish that person would stop breathing so heavily next to me. You come back to whatever your practice is in the moment and let go of the attraction and aversion. Don't energize it. And we try not to fall down the slippery slope of saying, I must get away, I must get rid of my attractions and aversions because then we're just aversion to those. I think, I think it's better just to, that's why I like to, to use the term to energize them. We have a choice to, to decide where we put our energy when we're awake. When we're not awake, there's no choice. That's very helpful. Thank you.
I think Anna wants to talk, but she's uh, muted also. Where is Anna? Unmuted now, right? There, yes, hello. Okay, hey, Todd and everyone. Um, so you were talking about being awake. And when you're not awake, there is no choice. And it took me back to something that struck me in the talk that you read about being spontaneous. And so this always, <laughs> this is one of the, the crux, the non-duality the spontaneous versus the awakeness and how in different instances we're encouraged to do one or the other. I guess I just wanted to express my frustration. And for me, I guess in these terms, I think it comes back to being frustrated with not being able to understand rationally and really wanting to do that. Yeah. Our, our Zen way is full of seemingly seeming paradoxes. It seems like there's no there can be no true spontaneity because we're all at some level along for the ride with our conditioning, right? So if we look for some spontaneity that is completely clear and cleansed of human conditioning, um, it doesn't seem possible. So, Todd, if I may ask a question along those lines, this is Nelda, um, because images came to mind as Anne was talking and you were responding. Um, I have observed people being spontaneous within a, um, a way of living. So there are people who are spontaneous within a being of grace. And there are others who are spontaneous within a, and, and, and we saw this um, during this past election, during, a, I guess, a destructive bent. And so I, I hear and trust that there's something deeper there that I don't see. Maybe it's my naivete, um, but but I I believe it's possible to be spontaneous and awake and aware because you're within a well a a, a, a way of being which is emptiness. So it's very freeing. And so, what am I missing? Is my question, Todd? 
I guess I don't understand your question. I guess I, I, well, I guess I'm not understanding how one can't be spontaneous and aware at the same time and conscious at the same time, because um, I, I would think's not the right word, but I sense that being conscious and aware is actually more freeing and opens you to more spontaneity. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I didn't mean to say that it wasn't possible to be awake mm. and aware and spontaneous. Uh, I think I was trying to say that it, it seems like it shouldn't be possible. Okay, thank you. Our, and our Zen way, you know, Zen's and Chan has been described as a special teaching beyond all words and letters. And there's an understanding that you can't convey it exactly in words and letters because it doesn't make conceptual sense. And so they'll use paradox and plays on words and conflicting statements to draw your attention both to the paradox and to the possibility that there might be another way. You know, we often say that, that, or Peg would say that Zen is a perspectival, meaning a or anti-perspective or not attaching to any one perspective. And so often in these texts, they will say the same thing from the two opposing perspectives, both being true, but because they are said from each of the differing perspectives, they appear like completely uh, oppositional statements. One of the most, you know, famous teachings in our way is uh, not two and not one. Your body and mind is not two and your body and mind is not one. You and others are not two. You and others are not one. These appear like you know, contradictory statements, but they're just a simple way of looking at the one truth from each perspective. Thank you. Yeah. So we must have no gaining ideas and we must have a point. <laughs> Lori, well, I think Lori, you had your hand up. Yeah, I did. I was just gonna um, mention in, in their description of this, um, well, as Nelda was talking about being awake and spontaneous, it seems to me that um, an example that I think is, is somewhat common is this idea of, of the gap. You know, you have a habitual behavior. And at the moment which you drop that and um, the immediacy, the moment, um, if you're awake, you're able to change that behavior without the idea of specific thinking of, I want this outcome. You know what I mean? 
So it's finding that gap. Um, I don't know if that's helpful or not. But yes, it is. Yes, thank you. Darcy had her hand up. Yeah, Darcy, can you unmute yourself? Are you no? Uh, Olivia, I had I am unmuted, so I'll go while she figures it. I, I think that using the terms that we had in the talk today. Afterwards, the discussion. I really married would married ways. And the minute we step into that, it's immediately creates confusion. So in trying to decipher what this means, we just get further confused. It's Kind of like in a really a not, a not knowing place, which is just being. And that's hard for human beings. We don't, we don't, we don't uh, tend to live and process that way. But I, I see that discussion getting progressively more confusing. And the words, okay being used, just lead into the deeper hair's breath. So that hair's breath is more like Laurie was talking about the space. Mm -hmm. Looking for the space, accepting the space. Thank you. Yeah, there's, awakening can't be understood by the rational mind, by the conceptual mind. And so, therefore, it makes sense that we can't work it out conceptually here by talking about it. But often, you know, we need some, some food for thought. We need some food, some fodder for our practice. And these teachers, the ancient teachers, have left these pointers to us to help us, guide us along the way. And so it's good to take this food for thought, right? Chomp on it a little bit, digest it, see what we take away from it. It's just good to remember, like you're saying, that it's not, you know, the ultimate reality. It's just a little pointer or map someone left behind. Darcy, or did you have? Yeah, I'm. I'm unmuted now. It, it is very hard, hard to hold on to my thoughts long enough to respond, but what Lori said was helpful. And then I think what Olivia said after was too, it's, it, it is that gap of no mind. Um, you know, it, when you have the awareness that there's this thought and it's that gap in between, 
where this magic occurs of not having a gaining idea of I'm going to change it to that or having a goal, but it's that gap of with the intention of liberation, not a gaining idea, but the liberation in that gap. And this discussion is getting a little confusing. I'm wondering, Todd, if you could give an example, like a practical example from your life where that has occurred so that we could embody it more. I'm kind of getting it, but it's, you know, you can't really hold on to it without some example or maybe someone else. Can't hear you, Lori. There you go, Lori. Um, okay, thank you. So, um, I'll give an example of, of something that occurred in my life, if that would be helpful. Um, Lori, a little louder, please. Okay. Thank you. Is this better? Yes. Okay. So, um, I'll give you a, an example from from my life, it's not something earth shattering. It's a common thing. Um, I talk, my, my forever, my person to go to is my primary teacher is my mother. <laughs> we have constant static and, and a lot of uh, difficulty. And, um, and I can't remember all the particulars, but I was having a particularly hard day with her one day. She's 97. And so we had difficulties before and they're just increased now because of her age and her mental capacities. So um, we had been in a very difficult place and my patience was gone. Um, and yet I was there with her and I wanted so much to be able to reach her and be able to be fine with her for a moment. And inevitably I get frustrated and then I lose my patience. That's my general way of what happens. But one particular day, I, um, I just grabbed her and I threw my arms around her. I didn't think this, this occurred. I can't tell you why. I just grabbed her and I hugged her and she was kind of limp. And I said, no, hug me so I can feel you. She was, had been so upset that day. And, and so we hugged and it changed everything. And I said, come sit with me and tell me what, what is it that's bothering you? Just let it all out. And at the same time that that happened, it wasn't my fixing mind didn't come to bear, my usual fixing mind. It was the mind of, I'm going to listen to you and I know I can't do anything. And my listening to her altered the whole situation because she got to say, she got to be heard. And that was all. So you say, well, what's, what's the big deal about that? It was a complete change of the way we interact. And it was a gap in the sense of, I was coming from somewhere totally different and it wasn't thought produced. It was, came out of something else. And I can't tell you what, but it, 
those gaps are things that just completely alter it and that liberated the situation. I didn't have, I didn't change her. I didn't change anything. I allowed her to do something that had some impact. And I also touched her physically and touched her in another way. And that's always been difficult for us. So to me, it was a miraculous of the Dharma. It was liberation of the Dharma. Um, so that's my example. Well, it's 1045, so I think we should wrap up the talk. Thank you very much for your input and for your practice. Lisa, I want to say something, right? That's okay. It's okay. No. no, go ahead, please. Go ahead, Lisa. No, um, uh, this, this is probably coming from my history of uh, being an aging hippie. A lot of what, when, when I hear things like this, I just think of altered states of consciousness, um, that, that it's, it's a different uh, brainwave or it's a different, it's a different way of thinking. Um, I didn't do a lot of drugs or anything, but uh, there's a, a book by Michael Pollan, and I can't remember the name of it right now, on how they're using psychedelics for healing and the states of consciousness that are called up. And, you know, a lot of times as I'm listening to some of these things or reading, you know, uh, Lao Tse, well, I can't remember, the Lao, the way, I mean, it, it just, it, the way is a different way of thinking than we normally think. And it's, the practice is how to get into that different brain space, I guess. Um, so thank you. Yeah, I think it's, uh, there's something to the, uh, that it is a different brain wave or different brain space. I agree with that. Different way of being. Um, but I've done plenty of drugs and, and I don't think they'll get you there. So don't go there. <laughs> it's a different thing than that. <clears throat> All right. Prepare for service. <laughs>